Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. All right, if you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 15. Uh, We're going to be finishing John 15 today. We've spent about three or four weeks there. And um, I want to begin by just helping us reorientate where we are in the story. Now, just imagine, all right, let's put our imaginary caps on. Imagine being seated with Jesus in the upper room. We're in the upper room. And for the disciples, they have no idea how the next 24 hours are going to play out, right? It's tense. There's an atmosphere of intensity. Jesus has been speaking about going away. And we know he's going to go away in a cloud of suffering. It's not looking good for Jesus, and it's not looking good for the disciples. And even even though that's the atmosphere, the disciples are on the edge of their seats. Because Jesus is saying things that is illuminating, gripping. He's not just saying things, he's also doing things. He takes on, in chapter 13, the posture of a servant, and he picks up the bowl and the towel, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And in that moment, he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Be a loving community the way I have loved you, taking on the form of a servant. And then as they gather around the table, They gather around the table because they're going to eat together. And the first words from Jesus' lips are these, one of you is going to betray me, and one of you is going to deny me. (laughs) The atmosphere is thick with anticipation. Who is it? And in that moment, Judas leaves. Judas leaves. It's his moment. He leaves the room. And in the midst of all these emotions, Jesus then begins a sequence of sayings. He begins to teach them to comfort them because of the impending realities in the next 24 hours of what's going to happen. And so he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says to them, I will give you another helper. He says to them, I will not leave you as orphans. He says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says to them, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. And you can imagine out of the intensity of the emotion, suddenly their hearts are galvanized. Because even though Jesus says he's going away, he says, I will never leave you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you. And don't worry, you are branches, and I am the vine, and we are attached, we are unified forever. And even if they kill me, I will be with you. And suddenly their hearts that were anxious and afraid are now not troubled. He said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And how will they not be troubled, Jesus? With truth. Truth will come to them. And truth will calm their troubled souls. This this is true for us too. As disciples of Jesus, whatever your troubles are, whatever your trials are, whatever your circumstances are, there are seasons where our hearts are anxious and tired and weary. And how do we calm our troubled hearts? With truth. 
And so as Jesus has been speaking these words of hope to them, I think they're joining the dots and they're going, okay, we know what this means. He's promising care. He's promising protection. He's promising his presence. He's promising provision. But it can only mean one thing. Trouble. Right? Trouble. And Jesus knows that to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And he doesn't want them to be caught off guard. And so we pick up the story. They're still in the upper room in verse 18 to the end of John 15. He says this to them. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, back in chapter 13 when he washed their feet. Then he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all things they will do to you on account of my name. But all these things, sorry, they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had, come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. There are just two main questions I want us to look at and consider this morning. The first question is, what is the reason for the persecution? And secondly, how should we respond to the persecution? Firstly, the, what, is the, what is the reason? What's the, what's the point? Why are we being persecuted? Well, firstly, we notice in this passage that Jesus uses the word hate, hates, or hatred eight times in the space of a few verses. He also uses the word persecute or persecuted twice to frame what is this hate. This isn't just hatred, it's persecution. It's a particular kind of hatred. It's a hatred with a reason. And Jesus wants them to know what to expect. It's not whether it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Persecution is going to come, and it's going to come in the form of opposition, hatred. He wants them to be mindful of a big divide in their own lives, hostility from the world. I want you to see this because just before he introduces this teaching in verse 18, verse 17, we ended this. Verse 17, Jesus says to them, so that you will love one another. 
And so he concludes his previous teaching on the note of love, that we are to love one another as the body of Christ, as the disciples of Christ, as the Christian community, we are to be distinguished by our love. But in contrast to that, the antithesis, verse 18, the world hates you. The world will hate this loving community. So so do they hate us because we're loving? Maybe. Unlikely. I mean, the world seems to think love is a good thing. But it all depends on how you define love, right? What is love? What does it mean to be loving? You see, the hatred towards Christians is not that they're a loving community, but they're a Christian community. This is the bottom of it. The very bottom of this is that the reason for the opposition is Jesus. The reason for the opposition is that this is the playing out of Genesis chapter 3, where we were told that the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would be at opposition forever. And what we see here is that we as Christians who adopt and follow the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we embrace his word, we abide in him, and his word abides in us. And if they were a problem then, if they persecuted Jesus for his word and his works, and we hold to his word and his works, then we too will be persecuted. All who are joined to Christ, to the true vine, will be persecuted. For Jesus. There are two things we need to consider. One is our identity. Our identity. Jesus says to them, you are not of the world. Look at verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world. This is identity language, right? But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Notice he says, firstly, the world loves its own. The world loves those who affirm what the world loves. But it's a fickle love, right? It's a fickle love because... It's always changing. What the world loves always is changing, right? And so you've got to keep up loving what the world loves in order that the world may love you. So good luck if you want to go down that discipleship path. And that is a discipleship path, by the way. It's a discipleship path of, I want the world to approve of me. I want the likes. I want the approval. I want the status. But... It's a treadmill. It's a treadmill of tyranny. Why? Because it's a conditional love. Because what the world loves keeps changing. And so you've got to keep changing. You've got to keep adapting you and yourself and your likes and your loves to what the world really likes and loves. So that's not an option for the Christian. The option for the Christian is that we love what God loves. And because we love what God loves, we are not of the world. And so the world won't love us. Because we don't belong to the world. We belong to God. How do we we belong to God? How, How is it that we belong to God? Well, he tells us here in the verse, he says, Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. 
We've got this language again. You did not choose me, but I chose you. How do we become children of God? Well, this is the precious and glorious doctrine of God's salvation and sovereignty. It's how he saves us. He plucks us. He causes us to be born again. The wind blows, the wind of the Spirit, and he regenerates hearts and he adopts people into his family. The glorious doctrine of election, God's sovereignty and salvation. And the reason it's glorious is because it humbles us. It brings us to our knees when we realize that from start to finish, it's all of grace. And so we're chosen out of the world to belong to God. And therefore, the world hates us. You see, it's not simply that you're no longer identified with the world, but that you are now identified with Christ. It's not just a negative, come out. It's actually a positive, you're in. You belong to Jesus. He says it this way in verse 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Listen to this quote by Dr. Phillips, he says, The world does not hate a false Christianity that differs little from itself. Let me say that again. The world does not hate a false Christianity that differs little from itself. The world will tolerate a Christian who remains silent and fits in. But it hates a living testimony to a saving grace and a holy life. If you were arrested today on the charge of discipleship to Jesus... Would there be enough evidence to sustain the charge against you? I chose you and called you out of this world to belong to Christ. But not only is it about your identity that they are persecuting, but actually there is a guilt. There's a guilt And in particular in this passage, it was the guilt of the Jewish leaders. It was the guilt of the Jewish nation, which we can also see in the world today. Look at verse 22 and 24. He says this, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty, guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Is Jesus saying that people only now sin because he's now come into the world and done all these things? No, no, he's not saying that. What he's saying is he's raising the stakes at least for the Jewish nation, because they had all the prophets. They had all the Old Testament types and patterns and shadows and practices that were illustrating the Messiah to come. And if they really loved God, they would have loved the Messiah too. If they really loved and served God, they would have been able to identify that only the Messiah could do these words and these works. Because that's what he says. If they had seen the works and if they had heard the words, surely they should have believed. And the reason they don't believe is because they don't really love the Father. And so they, they, they reject the Son, and by virtue of rejecting the Son, they show that they've always not loved the Father. 
Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. And isn't it, the irony is interesting, isn't it? I mean, the hatred of Jesus is so ironic because Jesus is the most loving person to ever have lived. The most patient, the most kind. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He serves the outcast. He stands up for the weak and the downtrodden. Why did they hate him? Because he speaks the truth. And he exposes hearts. Look at verse 25. Jesus quotes Psalm 69. He says, they hated me without a cause. There was zero evidence. And so what, where's the blame then? Well, the blame is their hearts. They didn't really love God. Even though they had all the religious outward arrangements, they really didn't love God. And at this point, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, thought they were doing God a favor by having him arrested Mocked, beaten, and crucified. They hated me without a cause. And look at what Jesus says. We haven't read this, but I think it fits John 16, the very next three verses. John 16, 1 to 3. Jesus says to the disciples, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Forewarned is forearmed, right? Look at this. They will put you out of the synagogues. Who's they? The Jewish nation, the, the Jewish leaders, the synagogue rulers. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things. Why? Because they have not known the Father. There it is. Nor me. If you love the Father, you would love the Son. The reason you don't love the Son is because you never loved the Father. You may have loved religion. You may have loved the nation. You may have loved all this paraphernalia, but you didn't really love the Father. They have not known the Father, so they didn't love the Son. How should we then respond to this persecution? We see two, two main things that we are equipped with, that Jesus is equipping the disciples with. The one is Scripture, and the other one is the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Always go together. I mean, have you ever wondered, how did Jesus endure the suffering? How did Jesus endure the, the anxiety of what was about to happen to him? How did he endure the anguish of his death? And I think we get a clue in verse 25, because Jesus quotes Again, from the Psalms, he says, Their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So what does Jesus do to comfort his own heart? What he does is he remembers Scripture. He recalls the Word of God. And he remembers. Why? Because Jesus at a young age knew the Scriptures. Jesus at a young age was taught the Scriptures. He grew up on the Scriptures. And he hid the Word of God deep in his heart so that when the moment came, the Spirit would illuminate that verse and bring it to memory. And it would equip him with this truth to remind him that this is all a part of the plan of God. 
This is all part of God's plan. Their law must be fulfilled. He might have been asking, Lord, why? Can't you take this cup from me? Isn't there another way? And he's reminded that this is part of the plan. And so that's how scripture works. When you and I, let's apply it to our own lives, when you and I are going through trials or troubles or tribulations or whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit wants to take the word of God that's been rooted deep in our hearts and allow it to produce life and comfort. But it's got to be there. We've got to, we've got to invest it. We've got to allow it to dwell deeply in our hearts so that the Spirit can use it. And that's what he introduces next. He says, he reassures them that that, that it's not just the word alone, but it's also the spirit. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, and boy, they're going to need a helper because they're going to be kicked out of synagogues and and killed. They're going to need help. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. He, He brings these two things together right here, right now. The word and the spirit, the spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. And we see this unfold as the apostles on the day of Pentecost are filled with the Spirit, and they go out to preach the gospel. What are they met with? Opposition. And they continue to proclaim the word of God boldly. And the word and the spirit galvanizes their hearts and they remain faithful. They don't give in. They don't give up. They don't try and fit in. They don't compromise. They are persecuted and they keep preaching. The word and the spirit. Why are we persecuted? Because we belong to Jesus. We are his people. We hold to his word and his works, and we proclaim his word and his works. And when we do, we do it in the power of the word and with the help of the spirit. Now, let me say this in closing. If you have not yet experienced persecution, I think it's one of two things. One is maybe you're not yet a Christian, or maybe you're not really following the words and the works of Jesus. Maybe you've embraced a religious ideology and you haven't really embraced Christ. And if you have truly embraced Christ, then it's coming. <laughs> so, so the reasons are very simple. If, if you haven't yet embraced Christ, then you will escape persecution. And if you have truly embraced Christ, then persecution's coming. Just give it some time. Because what do we do as Christians? Well, we're not trying to be antagonistic, are we? We're not trying to be unhelpful and and, and, and mean. No, no, not at all. Because the very thing that frames us is we're a loving community, right? But we love the way God wants us to love. We love the things God loves, and we hate the things God hates. And we do make it clear that there is only one way to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. It's the most loving thing we could tell anyone. And we do not agree to the sexual ideologies of the world today. And that conflicts with the culture. 
And it's not because we're trying to be mean. No, no, we're trying to magnify the beauty of God's design. That marriage is always meant to be between one man and one woman. And that there is no such thing as rebellion against God's original design in terms of gender. And we hold fast to these things. And not just those things, but many other things that the scriptures teach. And because of that, we will be persecuted. And so I'll close with a quote from Spurgeon. And then we'll pray. Spurgeon's advice to us, forget a frowning world and serve a smiling God. Don't be worried about what the world thinks. Be more concerned about what God thinks. And if you have God's smile, you've got all you need. Forget a frowning world and serve a smiling God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. I pray that you would help us to be a loving community that holds fast to truth. We don't want to be true but unloving. We want to be those who speak the truth in love, those that hold fast to truth in the most loving way. And so we pray that you would help us, Lord, in these things. And thank you that you've promised to actually give us help, not just help from a distance, but the helper himself, the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. And by the word and the spirit, you lead us. Even though we will be persecuted, we thank you that we have your smile. That what matters most to us is that we belong to you. That we have your approval. We don't need the world's approval. But we thank you that we have peace with God through the Spirit. And so I pray that you would strengthen our hearts. That you would give us courage to follow Christ to follow the teachings of Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus. Not just say we believe it, but actually believe it and do it. Lord, we want to be truly your disciples. And so we pray for your help and your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.